you know, I could think it's like a long, long, long road and you just look ahead and it's too far. You can't even think about that. And I thought this morning what I really did in that six months was that we're taking these baby steps, but we're enjoying the flowers. We're enjoying the minute and we're just making okay with that time there and there. And that was huge because then when we went back, that's when the, the diagnostician said to me, he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. And she said it because I said, Nicholas has learned so much. And she said, I've spoken to the reading teacher and he's gone backwards. And that, in fact, you know, he's the worst child. And what did I do? I left because I am dyslexic. I discovered while I was working with Nicholas that I'm dyslexic. I went back home and thought about it, which is what you do. And I, then I went back to school and I said to this lady, you can call him whatever you like. You can call him the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching, but then don't expect him to learn like everybody else. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Hello, persisters and brothers. It's Lizbeth. I put on an awful lot of makeup, so if you're on YouTube, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, I just, well, how is your week going? And what is new in the world of you? I am myself it's so excited to introduce you this week to Lois Letchford, an author from the uh, from Australia. I got really sick over the last week and uh, in the middle toward the end of a trip to see family. So then I was really tired and uh, so I'm a little behind on doing all of my due diligence for this podcast this week. But I do know that Lois has a fabulous story to share. And I also know that there are takeaways, even if your child or you do not have a learning disability, because a lot of what Lois will talk to us about today is becoming your own advocate or becoming an advocate for someone else. Like how do you, especially if you are dealing with a crisis that you don't know as much about as you might wish, how do you deal with someone's medical issue if they're in the hospital and you're worried they're not being treated well? How do you deal with yourself if you're in a relationship where you need to get out of it, but maybe there is coercion and control? Some of the same lessons apply as what Lois has to share. So I can tell you that she was a very protective mom who in the 90s, a teacher told her that this is the worst child I have ever had to teach. In all of my teaching years, your son is the worst. And what Lois learned about her son and the school system helped her son to become the success that he is today. And I just forgot which school he went to, but oh yes, he it has a PhD from Oxford University. So whatever it is that she learned and helped advocate for him, it's worth a listen. 
Hope you're doing well. Thanks so much as ever for being here, whether you're on YouTube or listening from uh, wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And I love it if you can share with friends and let me know what you're thinking. Find me at lameredith.com or on my author Facebook page. Thanks so much for being here. Lois, thank you so very much for being here today. I gave you a brief introduction and incorrectly listed that you were patching in from Australia, but that's no longer the case. Australia is your home and you're in New York. Thanks for being on Persistence You. Thank you, Elizabeth, for having me here and talking it's about persistence. Amen. Persistence and advocacy. I am so interested in the story behind the story. If, if viewers are watching on YouTube, some are listening audio, but if, you're, if they're watching on YouTube, we see a picture of your lovely book called Reversed. But before you decided to write, you had a crisis with your son, correct? While you were living in Australia. That's exactly right. We had a crisis. In 1994, my second son, Nicholas, failed first grade. And when I mean failed, he could read 10 words. He had no strengths. And the testing revealed he had a low IQ. Every day through that year, he wet his pants, he bit his fingernails, and he stared into space. Oh, how painful for a parent. Traumatic, long-term, lifelong for the child. But we can deal with that once we acknowledge it. But the trauma was there. The trauma started, and the teacher shouted at him. And what did they tell me? Nothing. So you had no idea he was struggling like that? I knew he was struggling. I didn't know the depth. And I knew when I was trying to do a little bit of his homework that he couldn't do what was implemented in the classroom. He, he wasn't ready um, with the language skills that he needed to do first grade. So what, there is a particularly compelling thing a teacher said to you that was so negative about your son that you have listed, I think, in your bio. But but what did the teacher say about your son? He's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. Just what every parent wants to hear, right? I mean, geez, what did you say to the teacher in response? That was quite fascinating because I then, after that horrible year, I we had the opportunity to remove Nicholas from school for six months. And my husband's a professor, so we he took study leave in Oxford and that's where I took Nicholas on. And I failed first up. I was no better than the teacher. But my mother-in-law was with me and she said, Lois, put away what is not working and make learning fun. I love that. It was brilliant. And I needed the input. I needed some help to change it because I was stuck. I was. Nothing's working. Panic, panic, panic every time. Nicholas is upset. So to have that change, to have someone say, do something different and and the world is open to you. Don't worry about anything else. And the first thing I did, and I thought Nicholas can rhyme words and he can see patterns. They're his strengths. Let's work on them. And I wrote one little poem. 
and immediately there was a change in our classroom. He relaxed, we laughed, he illustrated, we talked, we read, we did all sorts of things. One poem, do another, and do another, and do another. And then double O comes up, as in Cook, Look and Book. And I wrote a poem about Captain James Cook, the last of the great explorers. With that simple little poem, and poems are simple, you have these huge ideas. And Nicholas started to ask me questions. And he said to me, who came before Captain Cook? I said, that's easy, Nicholas, that was Christopher Columbus. And he said, and who came before Columbus? Wow. I'm blown away. But more importantly, I thought this is not a question that comes from a child with a low IQ. And it was really critical for me to see the thinking that was he was doing. Now, the other part, and this is persistence. Nicholas is learning decoding and learning about the letters and sounds at the rate of a snail. His thinking is huge, but his learning of these letters. And, you know, I could think it's like a long, long, long road and you just look ahead and it's too far. You can't even think about that. And I thought this morning what I really did in that six months was that we're taking these baby steps but we're enjoying the flowers. We're enjoying the minute and we're just making okay with that time there and there. And that was huge because then when we went back, that's when the, the diagnostician said to me, he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. And she said it because I said, Nicholas has learned so much. And she said, I've spoken to the reading teacher and he's gone backwards. And that, in fact, you know, he's the worst child. And what did I do? I left because I am dyslexic. I discovered while I was working with Nicholas that I'm dyslexic. I went back home and thought about it, which is what you do. And I, then I went back to school and I said to this lady, you can call him whatever you like. You can call him the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching, but then don't expect him to learn like everybody else. And that was huge to me, you know, and to do that, I needed the experience of what we'd had in Oxford to say that. Mm. And what it did for me was then say, Lois, keep changing things. You've done it. Keep changing. And the more I worked with him, the more I saw the struggles. He struggles with abstract words. Okay, how am I going to teach them? He struggles with, so what? How am I going to teach it? He struggles with this. How am I going to teach it? And I came up with so many fun things and fun ideas that Nicholas got. It changed me as a person. It changed the way I teach. It changed the way I approach things. I became a reading specialist because of myself. Oh, I love that. And you were so fortunate. Some people don't have the ability to take that time and stay with their child or the educational background even the confidence, but you learned that it was important to advocate for him. How had you learned that? How did you learn to be an advocate? Because there's so many crises we come up with in life where you just really have to sit, dig deep and say, I'm not going to accept what someone has just told me. I'm going to move forward. You said a lot of things then that were really powerful. You know, that one, I was a stay-at-home mother. 
we didn't have a lot of money. We covered our bills and we could live. That was huge. I had the time to think, how will I do this? Because that's not a five-second approach. And like you say, if you're working full-time and you've come home, you've got to get dinner on the table, do all these other things. How do you do all of that and look after this child that's struggling? The list of um, needs that we had to help Nicholas were beyond normal. And I've looked at, there's a literacy for justice. Why should a child have to leave their school, let alone their state, let alone their country to be educated? Right. We were in, you know, Oxford, England is the centre of the educational world. I mean, there's a number, but Oxford is a thousand years old. It's a phenomenal place to be. And if we'd stayed in Brisbane, the experience wouldn't have been the same. So there are so many questions that come up. That's how I learned to be an advocate. I love it. You really were willing to do whatever it took. Yeah. Yeah. And you shouldn't have to leave your school to learn to read. But we did. And if we didn't, the the standardized response was, well, your child's not very smart. You just think he's better than he is. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I have to say my second child had pretty has. Uh, she's very dyslexic. But when I asked the school district to rule that in or out, there was total resistance. And what they told me, she'd spent some time out of country. We were living in Alaska. And they said, no, this is English. It's a second language. We'll send her. We'll have a, what they called then a pullout, you know, where she'll be pulled out of class in front of all her friends to go to special tutoring for English as a second language. And it wasn't, that was not it. It was dyslexia. So it took me as a single soul supporting parent to pay for a psychologist to get a diagnosis that by that point, high school was almost done by the time we got that finished, but it still benefited her in adulthood. She's brilliant, but she just learns differently. And I will be darned, she's done really well, but she needed the specialized care the little adjustments like hey she could go be taking a test and have longer to take it in college they'd give her audiobooks to listen to for textbooks those kind of things so helpful so how did it start moving along and when did you know you were making progress well i knew i was making progress in oxford despite what they said and the struggles uh when we went back to australia and he's in the classroom He's coming home with books and reading them. That's so exciting. Yeah. And this, and I wrote, uh, there's a chapter in the book when I first heard Nicholas read something independently. Made me cry. Oh. The big deal. This is another huge move. My husband took a job, moved from Australia to Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> That's almost right next to where my daughter went to college. <laughs> There's not a lot there. The chapter in my book is The Spring in the Desert. Oh, how did you like Lubbock? <laughs> it changed Nicholas's life. Oh. Nicholas's persistence, Nicholas's ability to stick at a subject, it blows me away even today because he came into Lubbock 
he's behind, he's going into fifth grade and he's on a third grade reading level. So he's behind. He goes back into fourth grade, so he's repeating for a second time. Okay, so what? And there's a big deal about that. But the big thing was that the mindset in the school district was this child is reading, he's just behind. End of story. Good. Nicholas, and then they had the AR program, Accelerator Reading Program, which is gone and everybody hates it. For Nicholas, it was phenomenal because we started to do the audio books. And you're in Lubbock, nothing around you. What else do you do? The libraries were full of audio books. And we would listen and we would drive and Nicholas would say to us, what book are we listening to now? And then you'd come home and reread it and follow along with the book. He built with Connects. I don't know if you know with Connects. Connects is a building toy. I thought I had one here. But it's gone. Can you spell it? Spell it. Would you? A apostrophe N-E-X. Okay. And just starting out when Nicholas was young and it's changed. And so he would build for eight hours with this stuff on a weekend. You know, on the Saturday and after school and all the rest of it. All the time, not only building, but having an audio book in the background. If you are behind and you're struggling with something, what do you have to do? You have to have more input. That's what happened. And that's when his reading growth went from the bottom to the top. He graduated high school in Lubbock High in the top 20% of his class doing physics, chemistry, mathematics, biology, you name it, he did it. Mathematics was his strength. That's so amazing because a lot of people will say about audiobooks, well, that's not really reading. You know, that's different. You're not really reading a book if you're listening to an audiobook, but that's not true. You're maybe using a different part of the brain, but that's not true. And it worked for him. Well, it works for everyone. You've got to have input before you have output. Children can't learn to speak unless someone is speaking to them. Right. So, and the, the books give you that really wide range of language. It gives you a story structure. It gives you the characters. It gives you the soft, the, the setting and the plot. So when you come back and re-listen, you're not coming with a blank slate. You're coming with a full plate. And now the book is no longer inaccessible. The book is, ah, I know what's happening here. And that's the difference. It's the input that allows you to have the output. That's so exciting. And he did then very well in college, right? He got, we went back to Australia for college, mainly because my husband took a job back in Australia and Nicholas came with us at the time and he ended up with, two undergraduate degrees and fascinating because we went back to Australia uh, Nicholas was able to do more studies and that's quite different to what you do here you don't do that common first two years so he did straight engineering and mathematics and because oh. it was a small school the engineering and mathematics partners worked together and he just kept doing more and more and more mathematics and his classes are small, eight to ten people, with a, a professor who is phenomenal, known for being phenomenal, and Nicholas was just drawn in. It was just astounding. So he did five and a half years of mathematics and engineering. Wow. 
mathematics and engineering, which then put him on the path to do a PhD in applied mathematics at Oxford University. Fantastic. Back where we started. So what did you do with all of this great experience that you knew you didn't want to let go to waste? Because there are a lot of kids who struggle with learning disabilities and school districts aren't necessarily resourced to handle it. What did I do? Well, once we got to Lubbock, the label became irrelevant because it was learning in the classroom. You know, you said something about your daughter and the school district didn't want to acknowledge them. The fight we have at such a young age and how we cut our children off at the knees just blows me away. And we make judgments at six and seven and then say, you can't do it. I mean, it I'm an advocate because no child should have to face that. And they didn't see Nicholas's strengths. They didn't see this brain that goes, poof, he still today has a language difficulty. Mm -hmm. And if you catch him off guard or catch him somewhere in the street and he doesn't know quite what you're talking about, you'll think, boy, this kid's dumb. What's wrong with him? Because it's like the audio books, you haven't had enough input. Right. But if you slow it down and you take your time and you talk to him, then you start to see the brain that he has. But how quickly we write children off. Right. It brings so me to tears. It moves me to tears. Never, never, never should we do that. And when did you know that you wanted to write a book about this? After my husband was in Tasmania and Australia for a while, he came back here and I couldn't teach in upstate New York. And I'd had a phenomenal, not only was Nicholas's story phenomenal, I'd taught other children who had been written off. And I thought, what do I want to do? And Nicholas's story was getting better and better and better. That's when I knew I wanted to write the book. I wanted to tell and show how much work went in for my part and his part to be successful. That's fantastic. And can you give the title again? It's reversed, a memoir. Can you see it? There it is. I can see it. Yes, not everyone will see this on YouTube. Some will be listening. So reversed, a memoir. This map is the first map that was ever drawn in our world. And that's um, why this is so significant. So Nicholas asked the question, Nicholas asked the question, who came before Captain Cook? That was Christopher Columbus. And he, who came before Columbus? And Ptolemy came before Columbus. Ptolemy's map was a thousand years old when Columbus used it. And when we learned that, that was so exciting for us. I've got to tell you something else. And it's about curiosity. I have right. this book, Why, I forget which one it comes from, Why or um, Curious are the names. And in one of those books, they say you can take MRIs of the brain, but taking an MRI of the brain is like taking an MRI of the ocean. You can only do a slither and it doesn't show you the whole picture. And it says curiosity is like that. Curiosity propagates in the brain in untold ways. That's what I did with my seven-year-old. 
and you know when we talk about structured literacy and this literacy and and, and we we narrow it down to this we forget about the child in front of us we forget about teaching curiosity and encouraging that curiosity and the, the audio books all of that input is what makes a difference the structured literacy is the trunk of the tree but we've got to water it with audio books and curiosity and love of learning and all of that so there's these things that are so hard for our children become easier and become important. That's fantastic. I feel like it's so, it, it's very challenging for kids growing up, not, especially if they don't have an advocate as a parent, it, you know, trying to push through the school district. But I remember being very frustrated with my daughter as though she was being willful not learning. And now looking back thinking, you know, there was a time where it said a total meltdown because it was one more series of appointments that I just didn't have the bandwidth for. And it was so worth it. I, when I look back and I think, oh my gosh, it was so worth every extra appointment, every push, everything we could do. And even if your kid is a little bit older, just remembering that it doesn't matter. It makes a difference to help them become their own best advocate and also to have those accommodations. It doesn't mean they're not going to perform to the standards that other people do. They just do it differently. And I go back to our children are so young. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll tell you another story. Nicholas graduated with his PhD in 2018. And I said to him, Nicholas, um, you know, I don't know what happened in first grade. Could you tell me? My son is confident, he's articulate, and he's knowledgeable. He cried. Tears oh. ran down his face. His tongue went round and round in his mouth, and he had no words for what happened in first grade. And I thought, I can't deal with that now, but we have to deal with that because that's trauma. That's mm -hmm. a reaction to trauma. We traumatise our children by doing right. And then I said to him, Nicholas, tell me what happened when you and I learned together. Now, instead of the sadness, I've got this kid laughing. Oh. He named the poems that I had written for him 25 years earlier or 20 years earlier. I, I mean, and this, the list of things that went on, but the difference between school and what I did blew me away. And it says we've got to look after the emotional well-being of our children. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I think one thing that was so helpful too is you were you were curious enough and you asked for input and were willing to hear it when your mother-in-law said, hey, scrap everything you've tried that didn't work and let's start again. People have to keep their minds open and not feel like we have to double down with the rule book. Yep, yep. I, 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 perfect, perfect analogy. Yes, yes. And yes, we do have to teach letters and sounds, but if what we're doing is not working and traumatizing children, we're on ground zero. We're right. below ground zero. We've lost them. Ah, fascinating. <laughs> and the, a book I love, and it's Stanislas Dehaney, who is a literacy expert, neuroscientist, and he's written a book, How We Learn. And the first thing we have to do to teach a child to read or teach anybody to do anything is get their attention. If we don't have their attention, we've lost them. 
And the second thing now I've forgotten, consolidation, and my mind mine's gone blank on, but there are four components. And it's active learning is the second one. Active learning. And those were the two things that were absolutely critical, which I embedded with Nicholas in, in early learning. And when my students come to me and they have failed for year after year after year in school, the first thing I have to do, it's not letters and sounds, it's get their attention. Second, make them active learners. Third is error correction and fourth is consolidation. But, you know, I, I'm not talking about structured literacy. I'm talking about teaching the child to read. Right. In an environment where they feel safe, where they can laugh. Laughter is really so important, so powerful. I love it. Well, where can people find out more about you and learn more about your books? Uh, I have a website, loisletcher.com. I'm on, my social media presence has dropped a bit, but I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, and I sometimes do Twitter. Gotcha. Now called X. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful to have had you today. Thank you for sharing that powerful story. And I'm glad that you're doing well and so is your son. And that's just a conversation not just about dyslexia or learning disabilities, but about being our own best advocate. Very important. So thank you for this. Thank you very much. I've loved being here. I've loved our conversation. So have I. Thank you. I hope you loved Lois as much as I did. I just chatted and chatted with her afterward. And I think she's amazing what she's doing with that information. But I also think for those of us who are being pushed against and told, no, it's kind of nice to figure, to realize that we can learn to be our own best advocate or the advocate for our children. She's done a phenomenal job. And the role of audiobooks, I love that. It was important in my life with my daughter and she made it through college as a dyslexic person. With that verification of dyslexia, you can have certain accommodations and it changed her world. And today she's very successful in her field of accounting and reading still might not be her superpower, but so many other things are. So I love that. And speaking of audiobook, just this week, of course, I'm recording this November the 20th. You're going to hear this much later, but Grounded in Grit has finally been released in audiobook format. So if you want to hear me reading my audiobook, this is not for everyone, of course, so so. Grounded in Grit is really for people who do want to learn to be their own best advocate and to learn skills as they're dealing with crises and maybe some old traumas or things that are stacking up currently. Um, I am really pleased that the audiobook made it because I found it to be, speaking of trauma, extraordinarily difficult for someone such as myself to learn the skills to narrate, edit, and then, you know, kind of digitally remaster this. Never really dawned on me. I'd be successful first time out doing it, but it took forever. So sorry for those of you who I've told, hey, the audiobook's coming out. But guess what? It's out. Wherever books are sold, typically it is available wide and in many countries. So I'll put a link to that. And thanks so much for being here today. And I hope you have a phenomenal week. I'll see you next. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. 
If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.